I'd like for you to turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. I want to begin reading at verse 18. I'll read through the end of the chapter. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. That answers the question, what about the person who, has, who lives in Africa who has never heard the gospel? He says that every man has enough knowledge of God in the created world around him and in his conscience within him so that he is without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Outside of that, they're pretty good people. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. A thousand years before Christ, the Greek culture burst upon the scene like a child bursting from the womb, fully grown and fully developed. The Greek culture just kind of came on the scene, fully developed. It was a mystery how that could have happened like that. For all other cultures and all other civilizations had to inch their way along until they developed and matured 
The Greeks revolutionized everything. They were the first to write systematically the record of history. Most of the modern, most of the discoveries that we enjoy in modern medicine have their origin in the Greek culture. They were the first to write what we call today literature, and their art and architecture is still modeled, and their philosophy is still followed. So that every value and every philosophy by which we live has its origin in this Greek culture and everything by which we evaluate had its beginning in the Greek civilization. They were the first people who ever, who ever modeled their gods in their own image. All other civilizations and all other peoples had gods, but they were usually modeled after some inhuman creature. For example, some of them worshiped a god that had an eagle's body and a woman's head. And there was a man with a man's body, a beautiful body of a man, and the head of an animal, and there, for example, like the Sphinx. And the Greeks came along, and they changed, they did something that changed everything. They made man, they made man the center of the universe, so that man became the most important thing. And how something was valued was determined by how much it glorified man. Man became the center of the universe. That's why it's interesting that Paul says they changed the glory of an incorruptible God to, the, to a corruptible man. That word changed there in the Greek means they exchanged, they, they bartered, they made a deal. They had the true God and they sat down and they said, let's trade gods and let's get a God, let's have a God that we can control. Let's have one who is like us for a corruptible God is less frightening. That is the culture and the civilization that burst upon the scene a thousand years before Christ. And the Apostle Paul came into this Greek civilization and introduced the gospel. But before you and I can understand the need of the gospel, we have to understand what had happened prior to the introduction of the gospel. Because good news isn't good news until you've heard the bad news. And chapter one is the description of the bad news. And so often we try to play down the bad news. but chapter 1, prior to the introduction of this marvelous gospel that Paul introduced into that civilization, we have the description of a civilization under the judgment of God. Now there are some things that are very interesting about the judgment of God. Sometimes the judgment of God is very silent and unapparent. When we think of the judgment of God, we think that someday and some future, God's gonna pour out his wrath and that civilization is just gonna be wiped out. I'm here to tell you that this civilization in this text and this civilization in which you and I abide is already under the judgment of God. 
God has already come in judgment. Civilization is already under the wrath of God. And the question is why? Well, look at verses 19 and 20. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. What Paul is saying is this, God's judgment is just. There's enough evidence in the nature around us and in the conscience within us, in the things that are made and in the way we are made so that we are without excuse. If man doesn't respond to the little light, he won't respond to the light of the gospel. Show me any man who would say that he's lived up to his conscience. Is this civilization under the judgment of God? It is. Why? Because he says they held the truth in unrighteousness. That word health there in the King James means to choke it. What he's saying is this. They took the truth and they choke it to death. Because they knew God in the beginning, they took that truth and choked it to death. Now listen, man doesn't start at the bottom and work his way to the top of the ladder where he comes to know God. That's not how man begins. It is not an evolutionary process by which man starts down here at the bottom and he gains knowledge of God as he ascends up the ladder. That's a kind of a pseudo-Gnosticism. Man started at the top of the ladder and fell into the pit, and he's been there ever since. And this description in chapter 1 is the description of the fall of man and judgment of God upon him. Now, if you want to see the judgment of God and how it's described in chapter 1, you'll just make a note by verses 24 26 and 28. Here is the judgment of God upon civilization. You can make your own judge about whether or not this civilization is judged. First, God abandons one to depravity. Verse 24. Now the reason why we think that God has not come in judgment is because we don't understand the way God judges. Somebody said to me not long ago, evidently they'd been reading the Baptist Messenger or something, and they, they said, do you think that the reason why we have AIDS today as an as a, a epidemic in America is because God is judging America? You think that because we have AIDS is evident evidence that God is judging America? My answer to that was, no. I think that the evidence of God's judging America is the fact that we have homosexuality in the first place. For God's judgment, now listen to me carefully, God's judgment is in this, that He abandons us to what we want he abandons us to our own choice, to our own way, and that's the worst kind of judgment. The best way for you to destroy your child 
is to take your hand off of his life and let him do what he wants. And the greatest judgment that God can ever dispose upon a nation is for God to allow that nation to have what it wants. The prodigal's judgment was not that he went to the far country and got himself in trouble. The prodigal's judgment was that his father let him go to the far country in the first place. When it says that God gave them up, it means that God takes his hand of restraint away from man and gives him what he chooses, what he wants for himself. And this is what he said. He gave him over to uncleanness, to immorality, to immorality. Now I hope you're following me. Now watch this. When you read the newspaper or you watch television or you listen to somebody's sermon, prophetic sermon, and you hear a description of the condition of our world and you say to yourself, well, if God somehow doesn't judge America because of its immorality, somebody's going to have to apologize. You've missed the point. The very fact that America is immoral is God's judgment upon America. I'm from the old school, I guess. I'm an old fogey, old geezer, not as old as some of you here. I won't call any names. But I can remember when, it hadn't been too long ago, when I would, um, I would never use the word pregnant in a sermon. I mean, I just didn't say that word. You might say PG, you know, or... <laughs> Sometimes we'd talk about he's, she's going to, you know, give birth. But I, I just couldn't bring myself to say the word pregnant, you know. I remember the first time I ever heard a preacher use the word sexual intercourse. I was absolutely appalled by that from a pulpit. I guess I'm from the old school. Now, it's not uncommon to hear four-letter words of any kind at any time, you know, television or whatever. God has abandoned us to our own depravity, says the Apostle Paul. Second, God abandons us. His judgment is that He abandons us to dishonor. Look at verses 26 and 7 again. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Does this sound familiar? Was this written yesterday, last week, last month? For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons, look at that, the due penalty of their error. Now what Paul is talking about in the first section where he talks about God abandoning, abandoning us to depravity is natural desire. Natural desire out of control. Now, the natural desire of any person, is God-given desire for a man to desire a woman or a woman a man. That's natural, the natural desire. 
And that desire out of control is what he's described in verse 24, 25. What he describes in verses 26 and 27 is unnatural desire out of control. The passions of dishonor, he calls it, going beyond natural and legitimate desires. Five, about 10 years ago, just before I moved to Durant, I was at a meeting in, in uh, Hearst, Euless area, and this guy got up, was a guy from England speaking in a kind of a uh, 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 associational kind of a meeting. And, and he, he made this statement. He said, if there is not something changed in America in the next 10 or 20 years, he said by the year 2000, by the year 2000, we will legalize homosexuality in America. I thought the guy was, you know, being, trying to, being, try to be sensational. The Apostle Paul says that we no longer act like men and women. We act like animals. And there is this dishonor, he says, this amazing dishonor. It is amazing the dishonor you find among people. I know what I'm going to be labeled after this sermon's over, a negative preacher. I'm, you know, it's just the truth. I was, um, I picked up the newspaper and I was listening to the television of that account of um, the uh, tragedy out in, in, in uh, San Francisco and, and out there in, in the Oakland area. Let me tell you the greater tragedy was the fact that while those people were trapped under that wreckage, Hundreds of people came and pilfered their cars and trucks. And while people moaned in their death, these, these um, lowlifes came and took their jewelry and their wallets and their watches and their rings. It's amazing how far we've fallen. A few years ago, when they had to, when Gone with the Wind first started, you know, first time it was ever shown, I can remember going to the movie, see Gone with the Wind, and everybody there was waiting for that word at the end. I mean, you didn't want to, didn't care about seeing the movie, you may have already seen the movie, but everybody was waiting for that word. And when Scarlett said, What's going to happen to me? And Brett said, frankly, the word. <laughs> Everybody around us, you remember it? Everybody gasp. I, what I wouldn't give, folks, listen, what I wouldn't give to have that be the thing that shocks us today. And while people protest capital punishment, and you see them protesting capital punishment on television. The same people the next day march in lines to promote abortion. The same people. And while they scream about the taking of a human life and capital punishment, the next day, the next day, they're, they're screaming for the right to kill a child in its womb, mother's womb. And I was watching television one night and I saw this actor and he was talking about 
how humane we ought to be toward animals. And he was encouraging taking animals and neutering them so that there wouldn't be this proliferation of, of animals, you know. And he says the only the humane thing to do, and he talks so compassionately and how to be humane toward animals. And the same man, the same man gets up on television and promotes pro-choice and the right to abortions. It don't make a bit of sense to me. Does it make any sense to you? And he gives us over to dishonoring, degrading passions. Third, he abandons us to reprobation. Look at verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not proper. You don't want to think about God? God says, okay, I'll fix it so you can't. You don't want to retain God in your knowledge? I'll make it so you can't retain me in your knowledge. The word reprobate there, or as it is in, in the New American Standard, degrading um, or uh, depraved mind, is a word that means incapable of making moral distinctions. God gave them over to darkness. Now, man is so brilliant in his own way. Man has made tremendous advancement in spaceships and satellites and computers and medicine. He's brilliant. Man is brilliant until he comes to moral distinctions and then he's stupid. Let me give you some startling statistics. And I'm not a statistic person. I believe it was Carolyn Corbin in her book Systems 2000 says that in the next 10 years we'll, have, we'll gain more knowledge now watch this, in the next 10 years, young people, we'll acquire more knowledge than in the past 10,000 years put together. It's amazing. Knowledge from 1900 to 1950 doubled. From 1950 to 1960, it doubled again. From 1960 to 1968, it doubled again. From 68 to 75, it doubled again. And from 75 to 80, it doubled again. It just goes on and on. Listen to this amazing analogy. It says, Carolyn Corbin, if you could condense all of history into one year so that you have history condensed from January 1 to December 31st, this would be how history has developed. All of history, from the time January 1, planet Earth comes into being, up until this night, one year, condensed. This is how it'd be. The discovery of fire would have taken place November the 19th. Now we started in January 1, November the 19th, we discover fire. December the 10th, man learned to write on the walls of caves. 
December the 29th, agriculture was developed, farming was developed. December the 31st, at 11.30 a.m., the Greek Empire came into being. 1.30 p.m. on December the 31st, history condensed into one year, the Roman Empire. At 11.45, we invented the automobile and the airplane. At 11.55, the computer. At 11.58, the heart transplant. And at 11.59, on the last day of civilization, if you put it into one year, man walked on the moon. Just think of all that we have discovered and invented since 11.59 p.m. Man has, man's gone a long way, hadn't he? But there's a tremendous difference. The space between man and the moon is less than the distance between a man's head and his heart. And a part of the judgment of God is that man in his brilliance, in his brilliance, makes stupid moral distinctions. And you turn on Geraldo tomorrow and you listen to those women talk about being involved in bestiality. Now you listen to Donahue, listen to Geraldo, and he has these call girls lined up there. They just talk about it like it's just something that everybody does, everybody should do. And you're listening to the wisdom of fools. And the judgment of God is that man has lost the capacity to make wise moral decisions. And I'm not saying that God is going to judge us. I'm saying He is judging us. And the prophetic language of Amos the prophet when he said, prepare to meet your God, he wasn't talking about get ready, straighten up, or God's going to judge you. He's saying, get ready for God's judgment because He's He's judging us. Now I find two applications from this text. The two applications are these. Number one, suppressing the truth, suppressing the truth incites the wrath of God. You take the truth and you make light of it and you strangle it, you make light of the truth and it incites the wrath of God. Some of you heard the truth tonight. It's like these, this song, I was impressed by the song these kids were singing, that this is no joke. You take the truth and you suppress it, you strangle it and it incites the wrath of God, this awesome God. And secondly, embracing the truth invites the righteousness of God. Embracing the truth invites the righteousness of God. Well, you see, 
don't, don't you think that it's time for us to return to the way of Jesus? Jesus, the way of Jesus is God's way. The way God planned for this world to work is the Jesus way. And the way he planned for your life to work and your home to work and your relationships to work is the Jesus way. The way he planned for your life to make sense is for it to be lived the Jesus way. Isn't it time we do it the Jesus way? Let's pray together. Father, we are ashamed and embarrassed that we've allowed our world to be, to become what it is. You've said to us, the church, your people, you're the salt of the earth. And if the world is decayed, corrupt, and depraved, we know we can't blame the world. We have to blame the salt. God, forgive us. We've allowed our world to be like it is. Lord, give us a new commitment, a new conviction, a new faith and belief that it is only through Jesus Christ, the gospel, Jesus Christ, this world can be won, can be saved, can be righted. Lord, convict us because we've handled the Word of God carelessly, indifferently. We go day after day without sharing Jesus, without living for Him, then we wonder why the world is like it is. God, forgive us. Give us a burning desire to be the light, the salt you've told your disciple to be. It is. For I pray in Jesus' name, ask it for His sake. Is there someone here tonight who would like to come and claim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? You know that Jesus died for your sin. He was taken and placed on a cross so that you might have forgiveness of sin and eternal life through faith in Him. And the natural achievement of man has absolutely no value with God. At the point of salvation, you come by faith and faith alone, to trust Jesus Christ and His finished work. Maybe there are Christian people who want to come to say, I, I, I need to get my life back, lined up with God's will, in the center of His will. Perhaps God's plan for you is to play a part of this church, maybe to help us to have a greater burden for the lost, for the needs of our world. Would you come and join?
While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.